Hey guys, welcome back to episode 2 of Father Knows Best. I hope you enjoyed the last episode. We are a little disorganized, so we're going to try and segment this one a little better. Um, with me is my dad, and I'll hand it over to him. We're going to get into some topics like the Senate uh, election in Georgia, as well as the chaos that we saw yesterday. So, Dad, what are your thoughts on uh, the Democrats potentially and most likely taking the Senate? You know, it, it's a fascinating story only because you know, I personally went to military school in Georgia, uh, and it wasn't by choice. It was because I was the worst student ever in my high school. So my parents sent me for a year uh, to Georgia Military Academy. And I can't believe uh, that uh, Georgia is now a democratic state. And I think a part of that is changing demographics. Minority people finally taking the, the rightful place, rightful power. They're voting. They're showing up to the polls. Um, and, you know, the world's changing. Everything's changing around us. So, you know, what used to be is not what it used to be. So it's really not the South anymore. It's just part of America. And I think the Republican Party in this election, and I, I'm a lifelong, I was a lifelong Republican. Today I'm lost. I don't know what party I am. I'm in the lost party. Um, and... I think that what happened in this past election, not only in the presidential election, but the January 5th election, was the Democrats were playing chess and the Republicans were playing checkers. They just got outplayed. You know, politics in and of itself is a tough, hard game. And if we look at history uh, as a guide to like close elections, we only have to look that too far back to Kennedy and Nixon. Elections so close that you couldn't even count it. Uh, we look back to Al Gore and George Bush uh, Jr. Uh, so close, it was 600 votes that separated the president and not being president. Uh, and this one wasn't 600 votes, it was like 7 million votes. But we have a president who, for some reason, doesn't believe he has to leave. And even into January 5th is agitating people. So um, I think what we saw in Georgia, we're going to see a lot more of. And... I hope to God that the Republican Party uh, all buy one-way tickets to a resort in Cabo and uh, get their swim trunks on, sit around the pool drinking and saying, WTF, WTF, and have a big whiteboard and decide what they stand for because at this point they stand for nothing. They don't stand for the workers. They don't stand for the middle class. They don't even stand for the wealthy. Like the wealthy don't even like them, like which is incredible. So they've got to really figure out like what's their narrative and what's their message. Because I'll, I'll say to myself, I'm a former Republican, and um, and, and I'm going to make that decision soon to either switch parties or just become an independent, uh, because they're not servicing my needs. Right. So now, as far as the the outcome, um, the outcry of the results of the uh, Senate race in Georgia. Um, everything that happened yesterday, it seemed like it was mostly Trump supporters, thousands of them storming the building. What are your thoughts on what you saw? You know, I thought it was, you know, it was a great kind of like, it reminded me of the Boston Tea Party. You know, I wasn't actually present at the time there. But, you know, there, there comes a point where even that shocked the people of Boston, right? Even the people who wanted to be free from the king thought that was kind of like over-the-top kind of action. So 
We have a long, long history in America because we're a free country. We're allowed to do things and organize together um, of uh, self, uh, uh, self-doubt and also self-protest. And some of it gets very ugly. You know, we, you know, I remember Timothy McVeigh in Oklahoma City, you know, that killed how many people? It was an American did that. Not only an American, but an American veteran. Uh, Ruby Ridge, Waco, you know, it happens a lot, by the way. People get upset, and they get upset with their government. And this one I saw yesterday was kind of interesting because I wasn't really following it. But uh, and, and I worked on Capitol Hill, by the way, for two years. So I know this. I know that both the Senate and the House side, of the, how it's all laid out. And I know the Capitol building like the back of my hand. And inside the Capitol building, there's really not much there. It's kind of a vacuous space with a big ceiling. And ring there are just a few offices. You have the uh, Speaker of the House. You have the, the Minority Whip. You have, uh, I think, the architect of the Capitol has an office there. And a couple of administrative offices. Most of the people who are members of Congress, the senators and congressmen, actually are in their office buildings, which are on the east and west side of the Capitol. And the way that they get to do their votes on the floor of the House and the Senate is they actually take a little subway system to work. So I just thought it was funny they were attacking something that really meant nothing, right? I mean, the building, that part of the building really just been redone and repainted, unfortunately. You know, so they have to do some more work. Um, but it meant nothing. So whoever was like the brains behind that movement um, really didn't show much brains if you really wanted to make an impact. Fortunately, one person was killed, which I don't know why or how or what the story was. She was shot by a... The U.S. Capitol Police. Yeah, yeah, so the U.S. Capitol Police, by the way, are very interesting. And I got to know a lot of those guys when I worked there. You know, they're like your local sheriff, right? They work for, they work for the Congress. They're, that's it. And they, and they actually have a little area of D.C. that they cover. And they're like, hey, how you doing? Good morning. They're not there to... And only a few times they've been challenged. I think the Puerto Rican nationalists went in there and shot, shot up the House chamber at one point for independence. Uh, during 9-11, they did some stuff that was interesting. Um, other than that, for the most part, is they're just kind of like making sure traffic and uh, all this, the congressmen and uh, senators safe. Now, my gut is when I see 10,000 people running across uh, the mall toward the House uh, or toward the Capitol building with Trump banners, I don't know whether they care they say Trump or Trump or whatever, you know, it makes me kind of think that there's something or someone financing a small group of people out there. Uh, who are really well skilled, by the way, in inciting crowds, getting people to, together and motivated to do damage. Would you say these agitators are the same people that may have incited a lot of the riots that we saw earlier in the year? Yeah, I think that, you know, there's this like, you know, and I don't know where our government is, our, our, our law enforcement agencies, the FBI and the DEA and the CIA and whatnot, and trying to figure out uh, NSA, all getting together saying, okay, these all kind of look the same, right? You know, Black Lives Matter, they're marching for, and all of a sudden these things are co-opted into burning down buildings and turning them into what I would call all-out riots. Uh, so, you know, th- th- I think that's the next step for the government is just to figure out who, who, who is behind it. And, th- and then the crowd, by the way, it just tells you where we are as Americans. Americans are frustrated right now. You know, we're all locked down because of a pandemic. We're all feeling the same thing, a lot of doubt. A lot of people aren't working. Uh, the Congress has done nothing. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a second with having a singular uh, party in the House and why that's important. But 
um, you know, six hundred dollars. That's three three dollars a day. That's like you know, rented American for three dollars a day. It, it's almost a joke. And uh, so, right. And so there are there may be a small portion of instigators or people who want to escalate it, but it seems like you know that wasn't the case for the thousands of people who are there. There was just angry people who were, were pissed off, and um, whether it was because of the claims of the election fraud or just this whole year of losing their businesses, do they have a right? They have a right to be mad. Um, was this the appropriate response? Well, no. I think you allow people to have discourse and to be angry and do what they need to do. And but what's interesting about if you look at the attack on the Capitol, if I look at you know Rewindsville later at night, um, there were a few guys, just a few, who knew what they were doing. They knew which windows to go into. They knew how to break the windows. They had the equipment to do it. So they were geared up. They looked like actually like they were you know, paramilitary. And then the rest of the guys were wearing like ski jackets and hats, right? They're just following with their Trump. And they've probably been having a few cocktails all day, listening to Trump, you know, get them all fired up about how the election was stolen. And, you know, he has his right to say what he wants to say. And then the, the cavalry starts charging. And the first couple guys in are like have repelling ropes, they have crowbars, and within seconds they know exactly where they need to be. They're in Nancy Pelosi's office, sitting at her desk. They're at the Minority Whip's office, uh, and they're in Steny Hoyer's office, is a Majority Whip, who I, I know Steny. And, uh, and, and so to take the pictures, right? One knew to go right straight to the floor and, and have a picture you know, with their hands up. So. They knew what to do really quickly to, to create an imagery of instability. Right. The, some of these guys were so geared up, they're indistinguishable from SWAT officers. Absolutely. It's like I say, so th this was planned. So Trump goes out there, and as a, a, I would say 99.9% .9 of the people listening are average Americans who want to be participatory in the electoral system and believe this narrative that the election was stolen. And... They're allowed to believe that. They're allowed to express their opinions on that. That's, that's why we live in America. But inserted inside of that is this 1% who says, okay, let's go. Like they stole it, so steal it back. And um, so that's, that's my, my, my point is, you know, I just saw one guy like just really take down this giant window in two seconds with a crowbar wearing you know, uh, military gear, including a helmet, a Kevlar helmet. They seem to be in all black, too. Like yeah, black, or he was wearing camos, and he was right straight dead, un unlocked Pelosi's office, and you know, everybody was piling in. So they knew where they were going. They planned this out. This was an unplanned. Um, and as much as it's sad to see, it's what our country is built on. It's built on this ever, ever, ever change right to get to be being better and sometimes we take a step back sometimes we take a step forward and uh it's um so i hope that after what we saw yesterday it woke up a lot of people right say wow we gotta really get we gotta participate we gotta start thinking about this because um, if we lose this if we lose these things that are so important to us uh there really is no future right freedoms i, m I remember you saying you could just walk right up to the Capitol building in the past. In, so, in the 1980s you know, when I was in college, you walked right in the front door of the Capitol, and I had a little ID that looks like like you get when you work at McDonald's. Like, literally, it was just a, it was, and that gave me full access to everything. I could walk on the floor of the Senate. 
I can take the little subways, which are, are apps. If you ever get a chance, take a look at the uh, a video of the how they work. You know, when Senate is in session, they're not sitting on the floor. They're in their offices with their staff, and they'll get a bell that rings, and they'll all run to the subways. And everybody who's on the subway gets off, and takes them. The subway takes them to the floor, so they could be over in the Rayburn House building or in the Senate House building. And, you know, a few blocks away, underground, and they're brought there really quickly so they can get their votes in in time. That's how they vote. So they're not really, nobody's nobody sitting there. If you looked at an average day on C-SPAN, there's a guy giving a speech and there's no one in the room. And the reason why he's giving the speech is for the congressional record so that his constituents could read that their guy they elected actually did something. It's almost foolish, but... Uh, it, it is a way to get your voice into the record, um, you know, so that you could say, hey, I, I talked about that. Look at, you know, the congressional record, number one, seven, page 14. I, I addressed that issue. So single party rule. And, you know, I, I'm a, you know, one last thing I wanted to talk about was, you know, I'm a lifelong Republican. And, uh, you know, I fell in love with uh, Barry Goldwater. And, and I think it had to, to do more with, the fact that he was, you know, for like kind of like pure freedom, like, you know, like a freedom uh, pure to the Constitution, right? The, you know, the right to bear arms, the right to, to free speech, the right to practice your religion, uh, libertarian type government. And Barry ran for president in 1964 and lost to Lyndon Johnson, excuse me, 1968. And um, so Johnson, you know, couched Barry as being a warmonger and was going to drop nuclear bombs. And, and so he went back. So I liked Barry a lot. And then, you know, I listened to Ronald Reagan, and I thought Ronald Reagan had some interesting uh, comments and political and economic policies. I thought that would help the U.S. And so I kind of went along on the train, the Republican train. I became a Republican, and I, and I followed him along. And... Um, you know, some, but unfortunately, some of the best years I ever had were under Democrats, when Democrats were ruling. And it's kind of weird. When, the, when Bill Clinton was elected, we had, we had one great run in the United States from 92 to 2000. And you know, we lowered our debt to almost zero. We had you know, the dot-com explosion, uh, you know, although it ended in a, 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 a bust, a lot of great technologies came out of it. We weren't really in any great wars, right? So we had some peace during that time. Uh, and then we, we had George Bush, who had uh, almost similar. Uh, we had the war in the Middle East, with, with which ended up with catastrophic economic distress with the uh, the Great Crash of two thousand eight. Uh, and then we went into Obama, which you know Obama had a little bit of time to try to do something. His his signature um, his signature program, which is called Obamacare, trying to fix you know health care and. Uh, he, he got that through Congress because he had the votes to do it. Uh, and then he lost control so he, of the Senate, so he couldn't do anything else. He was locked down. You know, presidents only have a little bit of time to get things done because America gets pissed really fast and votes out you know, one half of the House. So now we finally have uh, a plurality in both the House, the Senate, and the White House. And we live in a time where Americans are hurting, standing in bread lines, not being able to pay their rent. Their mortgages, they need money, um, and I do believe we have a party in place today 
that has empathy and sympathy. Um, and, and don't discount Chuck Schumer, who I think might be one of the greatest politicians ever to live. He, he's not a ideologue. He's a politician. I mean, he will bend and he will work with and he will work with the other side of the aisle to get things done. So for America, uh, all of us for the next two years as we fight this pandemic, I couldn't think of a better group of people, uh, Biden and, uh, and Schumer uh, and Pelosi, who, you know, I could say personally I don't like them or whatever, but the three of them do co connectively have this tissue of empathy. And uh, they don't play golf every day. Uh, they're not billionaires. And they're going to go to work. And I think the first thing you're going to see is the, mo the most massive uh, uh, stimulus package ever created in the history of the United States. And all of us will be better for it. Right. So whether you like them or not, we the goal is cooperation. Um, and going back to what you said about presidents not having much time and America getting pissed off real quickly. Now, a month from now, say, say Trump's out, Democrats control the House, the Senate. Do we see all of Trump's policies reversed? Does his legacy completely disappear? Has he changed the landscape for new politicians in the future? Yeah, I, I think that Donald Trump is um, is a an enigma wrapped in a a, a, a quagmire wrapped in a enigma. He's um, his international policies, I think, were are will last for a long time. And only because they make sense. Peace in the Middle East with Israel, signing peace treaties with its neighbors. Um, we haven't had any fighting in the Middle East. We haven't been, by the way, we haven't been worse than Trump's been president. We've actually de-escalated de everything. So that works. Um, having a strong military, it works. Um, so that will continue on. Uh, China, and I think he's exposed China for what it is today. And what we're hoping is, you know, bad characters can change their colors and maybe they become better. But they're so exposed now as being what they are. Uh, you know, they, 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 they steal intellectual property. Um, they do things which, you know, and the COVID thing is, I, I'm not blaming them. You know, my understanding is COVID came from a Canadian lab, was, was, was non-technical, and somehow ended up in Wuhan and ended up in a fish market. I mean, come on, guys. Right, you mentioned that a little bit yesterday. I was born at night, but it just wasn't last night. So we know that there's somebody else collectively in there. And then the region itself, we want stability, but um, we're going to have to work with Japan, who, wa who wants to rearm itself. We're going to have to worry about Taiwan. Um, and, in fact, interestingly enough, I think Vietnam just signed a peace treaty with the Philippines to protect the waters to fight China. So China doesn't have a lot of friends. So there's an opportunity here for the next president to kind of help them, and we want them to be healthy. They're a billion people, and they produce a lot of things, and they're good at what they do. And, and my, my honest truth is I've, I've traveled to China, and I like every, I've liked everyone I've ever met. I mean, they're good people. They're fun to be with. They're, uh, they're, they're exciting. So I, I hope and pray for peace. And those other countries, what, are they laughing at us now after seeing what happened yesterday? Are they going to take advantage of the situation, what, you know. I mean, I, I think this idea, I hear this about what other people are laughing at, you, you have to just kind of understand how big the United States is compared to everybody else, right? And I always use this one statistic is, you know, and we'll just use from a military perspective is, 
There are 14 aircraft carriers in the U.S. Navy. That's more than every other country combined. Even China only has one aircraft carrier, which, are, which they bought used and painted it. So whether or not they're laughing at us, I, who cares? It's like the little kid laughing at us, right? But they don't matter to us. <laughs> so I think what they're, I don't think they're laughing. I think they're worried is what they are. And what they're worried about is the, their biggest trading consumer is having problems. That's not good for everybody. You know, Germany sells BMWs and Audis and Mercedes to us. Like, they're looking at our country saying, wait a minute, are they going to be buying our products? You know, uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think they're worried. I think the world's worried. From what they're, they're, they're not laughing. They're worried. All right, so we can bridge a little bit into the next topic about the economy. I just wanted to mention that Elon Musk's net worth just surpassed Jeff Bezos's this morning, and that's kind of encapsulates the whole stock market boom following the crash in March. And where do you think the market's heading in the future? Does it reflect Main Street? What's up with that? You know, it, it absolutely. You know, well, it's great. You know, I love Elon, and you know, I'm, I'm applauding from afar because, it, and, and listen, I love Bezos too because they're both great entrepreneurs, and they change the landscapes of what the, the areas that they're in. Elon more than than Jeff. In the sense that he's got a broader kind of dream about Mars and going different places, but um, the uh, stock market has decoupled from the economy. It separated itself, and this has happened before in the past. Where what you're seeing doesn't really reflect what's really happening. Because you know, when I walked down from Penn Station in New York to my office building at the World Trade Center, which is about two miles. All I see are empty streets and empty stores and out of business and nothing working. But then I hear about an all-time high. Um, I went to get my car fixed and they said they couldn't get the parts from Germany because they're not making them. The factory shut down. It took two months to get the parts. So, you know, there, there's some really serious stuff going on, the underpinnings of the economy. Nobody's paying their rent, by the way. You know that they're you know forty percent of mortgages are you know behind in in, in rent and etc. All the numbers point to a really bad. So the stock market is decoupled itself into like this kind of like small amount of companies, which kind of were given a pass by the way for the government to be successful, like a Home Depot. You know why did we shut down um, shopping malls and allow Home Depot to stay open? I mean they they picked them to be a winner. Um, and so I think the stock market is, uh, will eventually ultimately wake up and people, it'll look around like it has so many times before. And I've been doing this my whole life and say, wait a minute, we're here, we're, we're by ourselves. This doesn't reflect anymore what's behind us. And it's just going to completely crash. Right. And, and banks had a record year, and I think they benefited from the stimulus package, right? Um, you know, what, with the, like you said, a lot of the big businesses, the ones that get chosen, are the ones that are succeeding, yeah. and the small ones get left in the dust. You know, banks are allowed to go to the window and borrow money for free, right? The Fed window. So, and I, you know, I think that they, you know, there's with that money, they're supposed to be a guardian of our economy, meaning. If I give you free money, you should be out lending the money. Uh, try to go get try to get money today. It's, it's not very it's not very easy. So, and the banks are retreating from the retail markets. Like you know, I think it was Wells Fargo or one of the companies just recently said, or HSBC said, we're no longer dealing with people anymore. What do you mean not dealing with people? 
Like, so all they want is free money to go out and to do what they want to do with it. And that's bet. That's trade it. Um, and that's not a good thing. We, we saw what happened in 2008, 2094. I've been, I've been in the business a long time. So um, I think at the end of the day, and there'll be less banks too. I think, I think bank balance sheets are hurting and, and we don't know it yet. I think they're hurting around mortgages, and I think they're hurting more around commercial mortgages and and, and, and real estate mortgages, which my understanding is they're not priced to the market until there is a default, uh, a missed payment, a coupon payment. So you might have that. They might just pay just a minimal amount just to keep it look like it's normal. But we saw this in, in 2000 where all of a sudden they all just collapsed. So... Uh, you know, keep your powder dry. There's going to be incredible opportunities to buy, you know, great assets. And remember, one of the great things is if you, if you laid a, a, a graph out, the number of public companies today, I think is 30 or 40% of what it was 15 years ago. Companies don't want, the great companies aren't public anymore. You know why? Because of regulation, the government, too much regulation. So most companies don't want to be public. They want to stay private as long as they can. And we saw that recently with companies like Spotify and um, uh, uh, Uber. And what they did, by the way, is they already were successful and they just did a direct listing. And the only reason why they did the direct listing was not to raise capital. They did it so that their employees could have an, could sell their stock. That's it. So that's really that's not why we built the stock market. We built the stock market to create capital. So capital is being created away from the markets being created privately and then they're going to the market as a way for their people to get paid and to sell their stock so that, that's not a healthy market that's not a real stock market what you're doing by the way so what happens to you as the average, you know, average investor you're like oh uber's public now you're buying some uber stock what you're buying is the stuff the guy the guy uber doesn't want anymore because he's had it for five years he had it at 10 cents now it's 50 dollars you're not going to have that upside again. Chances are you're going to lose money. Okay, so they're starting to roll out vaccines now, and I know healthcare workers are getting them first, um, and then they'll start to triage um, whoever is most at risk. We'll get them next. Um, let's talk about that. You know, what's interesting is when I first heard that Pfizer had a, a, a vaccine, and, and I'm not a scientist. I love science. Um, I think it's fantastic, and... Um, if you ever get a chance, by the way, um, the Hicks Lab is right here in Long Island in, in uh, Cold Spring Harbor where they found a DNA. And you as an individual could sign up for classes there. And it's all online now. And some of the greatest stock picks I've ever had came from just listening to scientists there talking about research. So go online, you know, uh, you know, sign up and you can watch stuff and it's little, they're telling everything. So when I first heard that the, the Pfizer vaccine had to be at minus 80 degrees to be, you know, the efficacy of it, I was, I just said, I, I just said, how do you do that? Like, logistics is, the logistics is incredible. Like, it's almost impossible. It's impossible. And we're not built to do that. We don't have the infrastructure to do that. Maybe small doses, but we're talking about 800 million doses in the U.S. alone. I forget about the rest of the world. So we're going to find better ways to do it. And I think Moderna's got one that's, you know, doesn't have room temperature. But here's what we learned, guys. 
when, when we started playing around with um, uh, RNA and the messenger gene, um, I talked to an oncologist yesterday who believes uh, that in that mix we, we, we have found the cure for cancer. Anyway, um, just why is that? Is that because of the regulations that were lifted, or, or what does that have to do with the vaccines? Throughout the vaccine research, they came up with some other stuff that has other yeah, applications. I think it was two things. One was it was the, the, the lifting of regulation. The second was the approach to the science of it. And instead of going at it the way we've done it for 50 years, where kind of a medical approach, we kind of came in as like kind of a computer approach, computer coding, you know, and we said, okay, let's just, let's not like try to attack the whole gene. Let's just attack the part of it that causes harm. Well, it's the same thing with cancer, by the way. You just turn off two or three things and now you're not, it's not cancer anymore. It's a, it's a thing, it's a blob in your body, but it's not killing you. And it's not spreading anymore. Take out the spreading gene, whatever, whatever, in the DNA of cancer, and I'm a stage four cancer survivor, so, um, you know, I, I was shocked when this oncologist told me this. He said, we will be the beneficiary. For those of us who survived COVID, we will be the beneficiaries of some of the greatest advancements in the history of science. So you've got a bunch of stuff coming our way uh, once we kind of get through this. So we've got a new president. We've got a new Congress. Things can, they could start to settle down a little bit. And that's, we have great new science. We're vaccinating people. And by the mid to, you know, mid to late summer, we're gonna take a deep breath and we're gonna be back outside in, in, you know, with each other. By the beginning of next year, it'll be just a long memory, a memory of ours. And life will go on, but what we'll have learned from it, just like we learned from going to the moon and what we're gonna learn going to Mars, is all this exhaust of science that comes from it, we're gonna to apply to other things. So if I was young today, and I was thinking about my future, you know, I would definitely look at STEM. You know, STEM is just a place to be. And from every level, from environmental to medicine, to health, uh, senior healthcare, to- Computer the, science. Yeah, computer, computer, whatever it is. It's, there's so much to do. That's so exciting working with people, and um, so you know, look at those fields. You know, when I went to school, I majored in you know liberal arts and economics and business, and that's great. Um, business people are uh, business school people are you know I, I don't want to be mean, but uh, business is, is is a learned thing. It's not a taught thing, and you learn it over time. So. Um, you, we don't need a lot of those guys, um, and we don't need a lot of lawyers either. Uh, there's too many of them. What we need is a lot of people that understand science and can apply it and, and you know, have us live to be 100 years old. There's no reason why we shouldn't be able to. You know, today, today the average American, when they're born, will have 27,350 days to live. You know, why can't it be 50,000 days? And, you know, and, and, and have, I mean, listen, I love it. I love life. I love being here. Um, so, will you be getting the vaccine, and do you recommend it? I know we're not scientists, and we can't really get too into it. Um, yeah, you know, I've been, you know, I, I've, um, I'm like 50% of that. I have all my original vaccines when I was a kid, right? You know, my mom took me in. And when it came to the flu, I'm 50% in my life go actually getting it. Because most of the times I forgot to get it. 
Uh, I did get this year's flu vaccine back in January for the, the, you know, the 2021 uh, flu. Um, absolutely, will I get it? And um, yes, because by the time I get it in, in, in the line that I'm in, because I'm at the bottom of the barrel. Right. Um, Any the, side effects? Everybody see. already would have been dead already. Right. If, it, if there was the zombies, it, then the, the zombies have already been taking over the world. Yeah. So by then we'll know. I'll know not to take it. Yeah. So the early people, unfortunately, who are the most exposed and working the hardest are the ones we're using as guinea pigs. Pretty much, yeah. It's kind of weird. So you, so you got to have a lot of faith. and um, leap They leap, do. But they do. And the ones that are getting it. I don't need faith. By the time my, my, my group shows up, which is like, you know, letter T, row Z, you know, which is probably the end of the year, um, already I'll look around and say, Man, I won't take that. All those people died. Or, yes, they're all okay. And it gives you protection from... So, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? For guys like me. Yeah. And so, we can, so, it's a yes. Yeah. It's a yes, yes. Right. And we can only hope that... And no, if it's zombies. No zombies. No zombies. No zombies. We'll wrap it up. Just a quick question. Um, something we noticed was Jack Ma was supposedly laying low but he hasn't been seen since late october and um he's been pissing off the chinese government i think because he's a flashy billionaire and they might see him as a threat where the hell is jack ma yeah you know he's one of the most interesting characters in in the world and i've never met him i met steve jobs i've met bill gates i've met a lot of great entrepreneurs and i um he learned how to speak english as, as a kid by just going to the local hotels were American state and he would sit with them and he would just talk to them and they thought he was a cute kid and he learned how to speak English uh, I think he applied to Harvard 12 times and rejected 12 times he was a teacher so the guy's got an incredible story behind him and we know the Chinese government for some reason doesn't like billionaires and they, they disappear and all I can hope for because he built an incredible company uh, all I can hope for is that uh, he's safe and he's sitting somewhere at home and in an island somewhere enjoying his wealth. Uh, but there is a chance that he could be sitting in a cell somewhere uh, upside down with, you know, the Uyghurs and all the other people they've put into cells. So I, I pray to God that they that we see Jack Ma on TV soon saying, I just disappeared. But there's too many of them, by the way. And, you know, if we were on a video blog, I would just run a list of all the famous people. In China, that just disappeared. Yeah, long list of them. Yeah. That's it. And so you had a friend who's pretty has ties with uh, the Chinese. I do. Or works with them, and um, he says it's no joke, right? It's it no joke, but we're not dealing with people that have a sense of humor when it comes to uh, protecting their national interests, right? And and that has to do with a long, long history. Uh, being invaded, destroyed, uh, taken over, and being left behind. And for the first time ever, um, th through the Communist Party and Mao and the revolution, they finally have found themselves at the top of the heap. They, it, it's an incredible story, by the way, where they coming from zero to where they are. And, um, uh, but when you deal with them, they're not joking around. So... 
uh, and I've been there and you know on business and on pleasure and um, you know, you're, you're respectful of that you're respectful of who you know when you're there of who they are and and uh, and their position in the world and you know there's no insulting them or because they, they've earned it by the way they've absolutely earned they've earned the right now to be number one which we are they really have to earn it and the way to earn number one is um, is by good acts now that's by helping people not buying people not like funneling money into things it's by good acts it's like the peace corps it's by uh helping uh, countries build dams helping without any return to them everything they've done to, to date has had some type of roi on it return on investment you know, they do it only to make money the chinese yeah right america never did that america by the way you know we saved Europe in World War II. We rebuilt it. We, we, we beat Japan, rebuilt it. And a lot of those loans to this day are unpaid. And we're not asking for them because we'd rather have a healthy Germany and a healthy France and a healthy Italy than one that's burned down. We want a healthy world because healthy worlds, by the way, create great trading partners. And great trading partners create great wealth. And everybody wins. That's jobs. And it's, so... We know the secret. They just have to look at us and say, okay, what would they should take our playbook? And they were trying to do it in a really weird way, uh, but they couldn't, they just didn't read the full book. They only read half the book. The other half of the book is that you're not doing this to get paid, you're doing this for the good of the world. And you're building a canal, right? The Panama Canal, not just for you to use, it's for everyone to use. Right, and then one day you're going to give it away. We gave our Panama Canal away, back to the Panama, you know, Panamanian people. It's their land. You know, so I, I, they don't have that in them. They're not thinking that way. They're thinking like, okay, I'm built so it's mine, and I control it. And um, and this idea of the, the Strait of Taiwan, that these waters, which are international, by the way, and there's international treaties, that we can't put a boat through there, although it's a guided missile cruiser. A U.S. Navy, a deadly ship that could do a lot of damage, uh, but they want to stop ships from going through there. They can't. You can't do it. It's called international waters. Just like we can't stop them from, you know, international waters off the U.S. fishing and whatnot. So, you know, I hope and uh, you know, I hope for 2021, 22, 23, uh, that uh, Biden and Xi come to some conclusion uh, to what Trump left. And um, uh, and I don't think Trump was wrong. I think tr Trump just Trump sent the flare up and said there's something wrong. Uh, but now we just got to fix it. I want to thank everybody and um, remember to drink. Blah blah blah, because it's going to make you strong, healthy, and then take fish oils. You know, whatever. Advertisements. Advertisements. Okay. When we get there.